friends, family, listeners. We are gathered here today to honour the memory of Blake Thorburn's humanity, who after a brief illness has unfortunately passed. Ever since it was originally trimmed from the Thorburn air only a few short weeks ago, Blake's humanity has taken root in all of our hearts, blossoming into an example of what we all could and should be. Blake always rose to every occasion that was laid out before him, never looking back, but always growing forward and upward. Even though it has now passed, Blake's humanity will live on in our hearts, and also perhaps, maybe a little in whatever the fuck he's turned himself into now. Blake's humanity will live on in his familiar, Evan, who can maybe talk some fucking sense into him, please. This is Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wildbo's most besieged work five years on. You just heard Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about uh, Duress 12.6, the episode in which Blake finally abandons any pretense of not just being a boogeyman. <laughs> oh god, you make it sound like it's a good thing. Uh, well, I don't know. It's good if you like killing behames, so we all like that, right? It's perhaps arguably better than whatever limbo he's been in for the past two arcs, I suppose. Yes, he he was definitely in between um, and and kind of talking himself both into and out of doing this. So if you like the kind of, if you ascribe to the methodology of it's better to just rip off the band-aid, then, <laughs> I mean, that's what this is, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but it still took him two arcs to do it. Yeah, so... Look, that happens towards the end of this chapter, yeah, spoiler alert. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more when we get there. Um, but at the opening of 12.6, uh, the, uh, the goodies are at the top of the tenements, ready to go back through the portal into the real world. Uh, and of course, Ava has already run through. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I think that's the smartest play of the day. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know her, her brother's been poisoned or whatever, but. Uh, she she read the she read the room and realized things here just keep getting worse. Um, I mean, there's also a nice little bit where where Roxanne seeks up for Catherine and it's a bit heartwarming. Uh, but really, the big thing is right from the start of this chapter, we're already seeing what defines the chapter, which is Blake is just. I mean, he's like avoiding to so he's like moving to avoid Alexis. He he's barely able to track like the conversations that are going on in the room. Uh, he, he's just falling apart after what he learned at the end of last chapter. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I'm so excited to talk about it because there's so much here to talk about with Blake's complete loss of his humanity, right? Mm, um, mm. But before we get to that, yeah, let's talk about all this stuff. Um, yeah, I think one of the other notes of this chapter that I really like is these beats of the Thorburns you know, all understanding each other and getting each other on a level that is incomprehensible to anybody who isn't a Thorburn. Um, yeah, which is maybe... Uh, I mean, I'm just grasping at any straw of somebody who could bring Blake back towards humanity a bit. And as you said, wait, the Thorburns yeah. do that to each other a number of times. Maybe one of them can do it to him. Yeah, although it seems uh, to be a bit too late. But if anyone <laughs> can do it, Peter can. Um there's this interesting part where Tiffany talks about how one of the one of the windows they climbed past looked exactly like her house, and the people inside it looked familiar, presumably implied being it was her family. Yeah. Um, and everyone else is like, what? We didn't pass anything like that, which is great. Uh, and another point in favour of 
the abyss just being the best setting from any story. <laughs> um, Green Eyes says that it's probably or possibly the Blackfish, which I think, based on what we know of Tiffany, feels correct. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say this is a pretty safe bet. Um, I, I agree. Like, I think I think Green Eyes probably hit the nail on the head. Um, I mean, what stood out to me here, though, is, uh, you know, Tiffany's, from the looks of it, one of the few people who's being targeted this quickly like and i guess you know assuming the abyss has some sort of intelligence to it why why tiff yeah uh, it it must mean that tiffany is closest to the edge right the edge of becoming a boogeyman yeah because um you know targeting roxanne and Catherine, they get targeted by you know some kind of others presumably um well what, what's interesting uh, like to tie it back to sort of what, what blake went through down here tiffany and, and so let's just jump to her uh, we'll sort of Let's just do Roxanne's bit here as well while we're on the topic. Sure. Um, so Tiffany gets targeted by the Blackfish, which for Blake was was the stuff in his past, and that really makes sense with Tiff. Um, and I think, you know, we were just talking about how well we thought Tiff was doing with all this, seemingly, compared to Toronto, but maybe maybe she's just putting up yeah. a good face. Um, yeah. Whereas when Blake had the dreams, it was about his future, and, and so presumably, like, that's where it ties into Roxanne, because I think... Yeah. Re- you know, Roxanne's a little fucking psycho, so it makes sense that the the drains, or not the drains, the abyss might have a lot to pull from from her future uh, and and where she's heading uh, to to sort of confront her with. Yeah, I mean it's temptation, right? It really is, uh, or at least that's what it was for Blake. I could really easily see the abyss tempting Roxanne with, "Hey, this is what could come to pass if you just let us." you know, drip bugs into your ears or whatever the fuck it wants to do to her. Yeah, I mean, we don't get too many details, but she's clearly very shaken up by whatever bug-related things it was it was showing to her. So it yeah. may have been less temptation and more just using the dreams to show, uh, I don't know, something about how filling her with bugs is awful and she shouldn't want that. I don't know. I, I don't understand how the abyss works every time, but I know it's not good. If Roxanne became a boogeyman, she would basically become the skitter boogeyman, you know? Mm. I think that's what's trying to be hinted to us here. Of course, yes. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Blake, yeah, is basically the first half of this... Well, no, the entirety of this chapter, really, is Blake struggling to kind of contain his anger over this vision. Um, and any time he interacts with any of the Cabal, it basically threatens to send him over the edge of anger into full-on boogeyman territory. Yeah, I mean, he's completely off-axis. He's he's kind of spiralling right from the start of the chapter. Um, like, you know, in these early bits, the, the narration is putting words like friend as a label for yeah. Alexis in quotes. Uh, he, he doesn't trust sort of anything they're saying. Like, he's finding the the sort of terrible read of everything they say which i actually think is is unfair but we'll touch on that um and then he, yeah. he finds himself wishing he still had that spiritual connection to alexis so he could tap into her feelings and understand what she's feeling which is like you know it, we were just sort of talking two chapters ago about how amazing and impressive it was that he cut that off before he could use it <laughs> and now he's just yeah. sort of completely done a 180 he's like fuck these guys like i i want to know um so i think like that just sort of really shows how deeply this is sort of cut into him yeah i mean is it should we talk about how how we would react to this and do we think blake is reacting in an appropriate way to this because yes his friends did basically talk about possibly having to kill him which is pretty big betrayal um but having said that these people don't or at least at the time didn't know who he was 
Um, and even now, getting to know him more and more, it seems to be implied that they're starting to feel guiltier and guiltier about what happened, about what they promised to Rose. Like, is this... I don't know. Is this is this is it unfair of Blake to be holding them to such a high standard for a relationship that is obviously one sided at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, I sort of talked about that last chapter. I felt from where they were at the time. I mean, maybe the argument. I think Rose pretty much sets out when when she makes some promise. She's like, so it turns out you guys are actually his friends, and I've sort of ended yeah. up with you. Well. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and, and so that's that's definitely the thing that Blake would be able to hold on to and hold over them. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I do think he's underestimating how quickly he's maybe regrown on them. Um, that's a tree pun. Uh, yeah, nice, Like, in, nice. in this time, um, it's just... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't I can't really blame him. I mean, you know, in this in this environment, sort of learning that, I can see why he it hurts him so deeply he doesn't have a chance to sort of stand back and you know look at it a bit more emotionally uh also a bit yeah. less emotionally like you know it's um some of those bits of like logic that we're pointing out you can see why he just hasn't had time to really process those and calm down no i, I totally love the idea that he has, hasn't had time to process it though because this is the thing like they're in the abyss and this whole thing has to be framed through the context of the abyss intentionally showed him this you know, to this vision him. to fuck with him. And so I, I can't help but see the way this chapter goes as Blake just doing exactly what the abyss hoped he would do. <laughs> That's very fair. Yeah. Um, I, I, agree. Um, um, I, I, sorry, I, I just sort of remembered. I do think it's one of those things where I think if he just try, if he talked to them about it, like maybe mm. he could make, you know, wait, wait, just, just talk to them about yeah. it was something I, I was sort of yelling internally as I was reading this, but, uh, and that is a pet peeve of mine in, in most sorts of things. Like, I remember that drove me nuts in Black Panther. The, that whole movie could have been over in five minutes if everyone had just had a conversation. <laughs> uh, but with with this, I kind of get why, like, Blake couldn't possibly deal with talking to them and finding out that he's bright. So mm. I can kind of see why he's not doing it. Also, there's other shit to do. Like, you know, this isn't a calm uh, spot they're in right now. So, I, like, I get it. Um and it doesn't bother me like it does uh, in in a lot of other situations. But there's definitely this sort of sense of just, oh, Blake, please just just ask them point Blake, and then there won't be all these doubts. Like just rip the band aid off, but this band aid, not the other <laughs> yeah. one that you're about to rip off. <laughs> yeah, I mean they've obviously been playing it close to the vest about this being the thing that has been between them this whole time. But now that he knows, surely he can just be like, okay, look. The abyss showed me this vision of this, and so I know, and, like, I still want to help you guys. I'm not going to fucking off-rose the first chance I get. Maybe the third or fourth chance we'll, fit, we'll see, but, um, you know? Yeah, I think maybe their promises to Rose is arguably one reason for not talking to them, because yeah. if he does decide he wants to make a play against Rose, and not telling them is, is the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then do we interpret that as... He didn't tell them, so therefore he might make a play against Rose. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm not willing to rule anything out at, at, after the way this chapter ends. I've I've no idea what to expect from from Blake at the end of this. Yeah, um, yeah, Blake. The other thing is, like you mentioned, Blake is really interpreting everything that happens in the worst possible light. And I think it's a bit unfair. Blake even himself thinks at one point, was it all in my head that they sounded less than genuine? And I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, I, I do as well. Uh, 
I think I, I, yeah, I mean, it'd just be, it'd be nice if we just talked to them, but everything we've seen to me seems to suggest that they're actually all pretty team Blake. Um, uh, you know, they have their concerns about him, but I think they do sort of like him and, and trust him to some degree. Yeah. Um, and like, I think, wasn't Tiffany kind of a notoriously shit liar anyway? Like, I, I don't know. She seems genuinely kind of team Blake, at least. I don't know. It's interesting. The one that feels the least Team Blake actually is Alexis yes. now. And I yeah. don't know if that's because of actual hard evidence or just because Blake feels Might the be most Blake's... betrayed by her. Yeah, I think that's where Blake's yeah. focus is. I, I agree. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I agree on both points. I think she's the one who's felt the least Team Blake. And I think that's probably because that's just where he's looking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so everybody realizes now they've fallen for a classic Blake trap which is they don't actually know what they're doing now that they've achieved the immediate goal. Um, So (laughs) Peter's kind of like, uh, so what are we actually doing here, folks? Yeah, I mean, look, to to be fair, they didn't really have many options when they did dive into this portal. Uh, It's true, it's true. So, you know, it was very much a sort of, okay, well, we need to get the fuck out of here right now. Let's let's do this. But yeah, uh, Peter, of course... Now that they're sort of there, Peter's like, so what are we doing now? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, 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 I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and so they, of course, have to improvise the next step of the plan. Classic Blake moves going <laughs> on here. Um, yeah, I-, I love that Peter is the only one who really has a strong reaction to realising that the air quotes adults in this situation, the Cabal and Blake, who kind of... I mean, they've the Thorburns have all assumed they kind of know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and it's like finding out Santa doesn't exist. It's like, oh, no, wait, you guys are actually just fucking improving this yeah. as you go. <laughs> like, we don't have a plan. Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of satisfying and hilarious to watch Peter lose it as, as he's going with this, as he just sort of keeps hammering them with these questions. I think it's actually the third time he asks them where they're going that he finally gets a concrete answer, which I thought was nice. Um, And then he just sort of, yeah, this moment of realisation where he's like, these people have no idea what the fuck they're doing. And he just sort of fully loses it. Yeah. Anytime, this is a recurring theme. Anytime I feel like Peter's doing some good shit, immediately Wildbo has to slip in. Oh, no, he's still a piece of shit. Um, And that happens here. He immediately follows up his good questions and and kind of badgering them to get at the the next step of this plan by being a, a huge piece of shit, losing the plot freaking out and almost killing Kristoff. Yeah, he goes from understandably frustrated at this situation to just kind of being a bit of a shit to a child, um, like, very rapidly. Like, as, as you said, it, it's, yeah. sort, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, no, Peter has some good... Oh, fuck, what are you doing, Peter? <laughs> and every time, it's Kristoff. <laughs> like, what is his problem with Kristoff? I don't understand. Yeah, well, we get we get more of Kristoff in this chapter than we have in, in really anything else so far. So we'll talk a bit yeah. more about Kristoff as we go, but um, I, I don't know why Peter's so keen on shitting on him. Maybe just because, I mean, he's the only other child and like, you're not going to fuck with Roxanne. She'll stab you. Um, So that may just be, yeah. he may just be picking on the weakest link, um, which is a shit move, yeah. but he's kind of a shit guy. So checks out. <laughs> yep. Adds up. Um, And I like this too, because, Blake kind of tries to de-escalate this whole situation. He walks towards Peter and gets him to calm down. And, well, yeah, you're nodding along as I say de-escalate, as though that's not true. But I think from Blake's perspective, that's what he thinks he's doing, right? (laughs) But Peter obviously gets the read off of Blake where he is just like, Blake is in full-on angry boogeyman mode here. And even though he thinks he's trying to de-escalate, Peter clearly gets quite scared of Blake at this point. 
Um, and so it, it, it's really interesting because we get this glimpse into what other people are seeing of Blake right now. And he's just not, he just is, he's in spooky monster mode. <laughs> I, I Like, I love, I love how this, like, it's so clear. It was so clear to both of us and it's so clear to readers that Blake is just kind of being terrifying here. Um, but it's also clear to us that Blake doesn't really understand that. Um, like, I think no. that's really good writing, like walking that line where we're just like, wow, Blake is terrifying them and blake's like you know oh yeah i was just sort of stepping to peter a bit putting him in yeah, his place I walked towards him basically well, is, it, is the most aggressive thing blake thinks that he does well, he's like he's like oh peter looks terrified but he's like you know but then i just sort of stood there and stared at him and it's like that's terrifying too blake mm. yeah yeah it's interesting um and yeah obviously it's not going to get better for blake he's not going to be less spooky by the end of this chapter <laughs> nope. um yeah, I don't know what Peter thought. I mean, it, presumably Peter thought he was going to, like, throw him off the building or something, um, which I don't think would have been the worst move because Peter is being a huge dick, but mm. it feels a bit extreme, maybe. Yeah, I I just don't think Blake, like, maybe realises... Like, there's a few bits where people sort of try to talk to Blake and, all, and, and the way they do it in this chapter makes me think he doesn't have his, like, seething anger uh, as like you know hidden as he thinks like i think yeah. it's maybe more obvious to everyone than he realizes that he's in a really fucking bad mood and so yes. like, it, it's probably that that peter was latching onto like i don't know if they yeah. had any s- strong ideas of what blake was going to do but if blake's clearly emanating anger and like sort of walking towards him like of course he's going to be afraid yeah and without knowing what that anger is coming from i think it's reasonable for peter to think that blake is having a really strong reaction to him being aggressive towards christoph like yeah yeah that makes sense and and seemingly that's the i mean alexis later talks to him and basically is like oh so you're not feeling good about being in the drains huh (laughs) because they obviously don't have a reason like they don't know why blake is freaking the fuck out so much yeah exactly wait from their perspective blake's just for no reason fucking jumped up five levels of being pissed off at everything yeah but it's like again this is the abyss this is what it's doing right we've had beats of blake's like chest fluttering and getting more active like I i don't know it just seems like the abyss is brought him down here I mean, or it, it tried to bring him down here and he didn't come, but then he came down later anyway of his own free will. And now it's given him a little bit of a boogeyman injection and it's going to send him back up to fuck shit up. Like, it's it's all going perfectly to plan for this abyss. Yeah, and I mean, because he doesn't... There's no mention when he scares Peter of whether it, like, gives him a boost. Like, he's sort of mentioned that before. And it's yeah. hard to know whether it's because, oh, we're in, we're in the abyss right now, so he doesn't get that, or um you know whether he's just sort of so detached from himself right now and he's so full of anger and and other power and stuff that he just didn't really notice but uh it's hard not to believe that as you said before he's not just doing exactly what the abyss wanted when it gave him this information yeah yeah um so alexis is tending to catherine's arm and blake uh alexis calls blake over to help and blake is unable to speak He, he can't he can't talk to her he just can't bring himself to do it um, until he eventually kind of starts letting on just how helpless he feels. Yeah, this is sort of where he really begins to spiral. Um, yeah. Like, he, he, he sort of flinches as Alexis makes, like, physical contact with him, and like, yeah. part of me was at first kind of like, oh, I mean, you know, terrible, but also good. This is still Blake. Yeah, that's 
that's an element of Blake. That's yeah. a core human like, Blake you know, reaction. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's you know not not the best type, but um, you know, I'll take anything I can get at this point. And then Blake's in his narration is sort of immediately, oh, but it wasn't for like my usual hang-ups. It's just because like I'm so angry at Alexis, I don't want her touching me. And you're like, oh fuck, yeah, like this is Whoops. bad. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty strong indicator. This is one of the things that was the most kind of human and vulnerable about Blake from his. Uh, backstory you know um mm. and that has been uh replaced completely with boogeyman anger so <laughs> yeah. it's obviously a microcosm for what's happening in this chapter as a whole yeah and, and it gets your hopes up because it's been a while since we saw this sort of aversion to physical contact from blake like i think it's since yeah. he was in the drains because yeah you know, he had roxanne on his back last chapter he's been grabbed by things he's been coming out of the mirror for the last few arcs like he's yep he hasn't shown that, so I, I I instantly sort of leapt on it as, oh, this is a good thing, and then the book is immediately like, not, nah. um, it, nah. it's worse yeah. now, um, and we get that third beat in um that that we've talked about of his damn me, damn them, damn it all, the opening yeah. lines to the book. Um, I think when we got the second beat, you you mentioned that you thought the third beat would signify like a big change, um, in 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 Blake, and I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes. Because uh, the the moment where this is included in the chapter, I think, is that moment where Blake just kind of moves beyond just being angry and just kind of gives up on being human. Yeah, um, I I I kind of like it as a marker of. I, it feels like it's a marker of Blake at his most boogeyman-ish, right? The first one was the start of the story when he, as far as we know, came into existence. Um, and this third one is the conclusion of the journey of, of what he was built to do, right? He was built to, to become this creature, um, and he's fully kind of leaned into it now. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's, no, it definitely- it's not a good, it's not a good phrase to see pop up. No, it does, it does seem to be bookmarking the Blake Thorburn as we knew him. Like, you know, yeah. it was the opening line, it was how we were introduced to him, and we see it here at the end as he sort of- Seem, seems to leave his humanity uh, behind. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Alexis accidentally stumbles upon what may possibly be the worst thing to say to Blake, which is, you don't need to dwell on the long term, she said. <laughs> and like, I'm kind of... I, I think Blake is interpreting everything in the worst possible way, but this is like... Man, this <laughs> it's hard not to be like, yeah, Blake, this is really foreboding for her to have said this. I mean, I actually, so it wasn't until you wrote this in the notes, I actually saw the interpretation you, you just hinted at there. Like, when I yeah. read this, I, I sort of took the nice read, which is, you know, Alexis just sort of trying to like pep talk him, being like, hey, listen, yeah. like, you know, we've got shit going on. You don't need to dwell on the long term. Just you're here with us. Um and yeah. I do think that's what she meant, uh, but you're right. Oh, yeah, the way totally Blake is sort of meant. processing everything right now, of course, that's terrible phrasing. And he pretty much just sort of straight up calls that out. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, you're having to tell Blake not to worry about the long term. Like, this is a sign that he's really losing it. Like, <laughs> But that's the thing. Like, it's interesting because kind of the whole story, we've wanted him to, to be more selfish, right? To mm. be able to... To, to not selfish selfish is the wrong word because he has done some selfish things but like to focus on building a healthy sustainable life for himself and it seems like he's finally thinking about that now only because everything else has kind of fallen away yeah but- it's not for it's not because 
Wait, that's the thing. It's not because now he wants to look towards the future. It's because he's completely giving up on the future. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's like a a perversion of what we had wanted Blake to see. And kind of what Blake himself had wanted to do, right? Like... I was just going to say, like, getting a perversion of what we wanted to see is such a fucking classic Wabo move. (laughs) It is. It really (laughs) is. Um, Yeah, it's sad, more than anything. And I kind of see this line where Alexa says, you don't need to dwell more long-term. This, to me, is the thing that really sets Blake off, because he's talking about how he doesn't know what to do anymore. And that conversation is vulnerable and it could turn into a reconciliation or something. But Alexa says this and Blake interprets it in the in the worst possible way. And that means all he has left is being defensive and kind of flipping out from there. Yeah. I, I feel like this conversation could have gone well at this point, but just by chance, Alexa said the wrong thing and that's it, right? Yeah, um, you got to pick your phrasing carefully in this world. Yeah, uh, so Blake starts to dig into this mindset. Um, one of my favorite bits is Evan, uh, Evan says, you've got us. Blake opens his eyes. I've got you, I said, not agreeing with him. You in the singular, <laughs> which is cold. Um, it means that he has completely written off the cabal. Uh, so all he's got left is Evan and maybe green eyes. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's like, okay. I don't know if we're jumping ahead or not, but let's just start getting into it because this is the part of the chapter where we really start to see what's happening with Blake next. Um, Yeah. I want to talk about his motivations, right? Because his original motivation was to survive when he first got introduced. Uh, And now it's... Then it kind of turned into helping Rose and and helping Rose and his friends once he got them kind of accidentally embroiled into the whole thing. Um... And that's all slipped away, right? Blake kind of doesn't care about helping Rose anymore. <laughs> he, he's lost uh, the care for helping for his cabal this chapter. Um, and it, it, it also feels like he doesn't really care about surviving and getting out of this intact, right? Well, um, no, I mean, given what he does in yes. the end of this chapter, yes, like, absolutely. And so the only motivation he has left is... His promise to Evan to kill the bad things, right? To kill the monsters, um, mm-hmm. which was a a promise made of pure heart at the time. But obviously, when you can change the definition of what the bad things are, this is the exact kind of motivation that leads you to becoming an evil monster, right? Yeah. Well, and it ties into what Rose was saying about why she thinks he was created to like fight all the enemies. I was like, oh, you just going to keep fighting until you run out of enemies. And it feels like he's really leaning into that aspect of, of himself, whether Rose was right or not. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, wait, this is the point where you really start to realize e- Evan is the only thing tethering, like, Blake as as not, like, not just being a boogeyman. Wait, Evan's the only thing getting yeah. him from just fully monstering out at this point. I, it makes me- I really think... Blake could have redefined the Cabal as his enemies if he never had met Evan. Like, if Evan was never in the story and we got to this point, I I, I reckon there's a pretty good chance Blake would just kill the Cabal. Like, I could see that from this Blake. Oh, yeah. Like, especially given how Evan was really the only thing that gave him hope, even when he was, like, trapped in that mirror. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this actually just has me really fucking worried for Evan. Um, honestly, like Evan is now the only thing kind of holding Blake down or, or back or however you want to phrase it. And like, yeah. if something happens to Evan, like Blake's just going to lose it. And that makes me think, well, that makes me worry that something is going to happen to Evan. 
Yeah, and then Blake just goes fully off the rails. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the other thing that we kind of should touch on here is Catherine's arm got broken and, and it seems as though the fact that it was broken in the abyss meant that it's basically not healing, right? Mm. Um, and there have been a few beats of things that don't heal in this chapter. And I feel like this one also is kind of an intentional parallel to something. And I don't know exactly what, it could be a few things. It could be Blake's relationship with the cabal that is now broken and, and will never heal or, or Blake's humanity itself. Um, it feels like something is irreparably broken uh, to match this arm, or multiple things are, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just a sort of uh, like physical manifestation of, of what we've talked about with with the abyss, which is things th- that are changed in their you know. Well, you come out changed, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, this is something that's come up a, a fair bit in Pact. Like the hyena, obviously, uh, had like anti healing properties. Um, I think. In Eamon's interlude, he had, like, a bite from a ghoul that never healed properly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think there are just, like, a lot of things that leave unhealable wounds in this world. And, of course, you know, this, f- like, hellhole is one of them. Yeah, so then it would stand to reason from that that the wound in the friendship between Blake and his cabal is a thing that will never heal, right? I mean, this is yeah. a wound that has been yeah. inflicted by the abyss. Um, yeah. So... So Blake prepares to head out um, and at this point kind of reveals that his new plan is to build himself a full-on boogeyman body. Um, so he sends Ty and Green Eyes to go collect some branches and some bones uh, and they will build a new body for Blake to inhabit out of these branches and bones. At first I was really excited he was doing this because I was like, oh look, see, he hasn't given up. He's you know, he, he's uh, he's not just going to turn into a rage monster. He's trying to build himself a body. He wants to get into the world. And, I mean, that wasn't exactly how it pans out. He's just given up on something else, not given up on everything. Yeah, and I think the f- the fact that he wants to take a physical form is, is so important as well. Because ever since he's been in the mirror, he has been restricted, right? He's been restrained. He's had to be restrained. Yeah. He can't be endlessly aggressive. He has to kind of be... Uh, be, be kind of diplomatic and he has to talk to people and he has to kind of travel around and he can't just go around doing random shit and fucking shit up. And he's been more protected as well um, in the mirror. And he's given all that up. And, and that to me is like, it just means I, I just know he's just going to go around doing fucking whatever and attacking people willy nilly. And it's just <laughs> like, not, it's just not a good, I don't know. There's no good signs in this one, right? It's all red flags in this chapter. Uh, yeah, I'm terrified for what the rest of this arc is going to look like. Um, I, yeah. I'm actually concerned that arc 13 might be defined by Blake basically being the bad guy uh, yeah. and everyone else trying to rein him in. Uh, as he proves to everyone that, like, everything they were worried about from Thorburns is exactly correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let's talk about this. So, as soon as Blake says this, I'm kind of surprised, as soon as he says that he's building himself a body, I am kind of surprised how easily Ty and the rest of the Cabal go along with it. Like, there's a bit later where they they give each other looks, and Blake interprets it as like, oh, they're hesitant, I was right all along, blah, blah, blah. But, I don't know, I... I mean, if I was in this situation, I would maybe be like, uh, Blake, are you sure this is a good idea, buddy? But they're just <laughs> kind of like, yeah, let's build you a body. Yeah, they don't really... 
hesitate that much, which he should be interpreting as a good sign, I think, but he's not in the headspace to no, do that. he doesn't, of course. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's just, I just, it puts me, you know what it puts me in mind of? It puts me in mind of that moment when Alexis baited him into exerting himself to protect her and then get shunted out of the house, you know? Mm. Like it, and maybe I'm being a bit of a Blake Thorburn about this, but it does feel like he is being used as a weapon again, which I don't like. I don't, mm. I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe. Uh, that, that, wait, I think that is a, like, a fair read. Um, I, mm. I don't but I agree think we, with it because I want get it to be impartial read. good. Um, yeah. But I, like, I could see that being correct, yeah. I think we're too in his head to get an impartial view of this scene. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, so Evan and, uh, uh, sorry, not Evan, Ty and Green Eyes go off to collect a new body or some stuff to make a body, to build a body for Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, while they're away, Christoph basically seeks more info about becoming a practitioner and everybody throws advice in, basically trying to ward him off of this, right? Yeah. And I mean, this conversation is pretty heartbreaking because Christoph basically says his motivation right now is he, he just wants to be less human, presumably because mm-hmm. he's mourning. Like, fucking everything. Um, yeah, he looks up to his cousin, I think, his cousin Blake, who also wants to be less human. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, Blake's like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to be, um, you know, less human. And it's like, yeah, Blake, like... <laughs> He's not where is he? If only we could get him to talk into a mirror. Yeah. You don't want to be less human, I said, as I built myself <laughs> a boogeyman body. <laughs> yeah. Christoph, you don't want to be less human. Now check this shit out. Now, check out my cool tree powers. <laughs> um, no, but it's interesting because Blake does give him advice that cuts through, right? He he basically says, this high school shit that, that is weighing you down, it exists for practitioners too, and it's worse. <laughs> and, and this is what gets through to Christoph, right? Mm. Um, yeah. No, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, we, we already sort of touched on this, this idea that the Thorburns in this chapter are always sort of the ones to get through to each other. Uh, yeah. Like, again, you know, it, it, it's really what Blake says here that gets through to Kristoff. Yeah. I wonder if, like, Rose will actually be the one to talk down Blake if he starts to rage. Like, that would be that would be really powerful and also, like, oh, completely unexpected. It doesn't unexpected. have to be Rose. It could be Uncle Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, I think, I think considering his antagonism with Rose of late, I think that would be a very interesting angle if Rose ends up having to be the one to try and talk him yeah. down. Um, interesting. I mean, the first step in, in that plan would be convincing her to do that i imagine but yeah yeah but i think i don't think blake sees this as a betrayal from rose right because it's it's hard not to see it from rose's perspective as like yeah we are set against each other and we kind of have to be realistic about it blake is betrayed by his friends but from rose i think he just kind of is like yeah that's the rules of the game (laughs) like i think he actually is not gonna have as bad a relationship with rose after this in the same way. I would say he was already not very pro-Rose, and I don't think he yeah. seems extra anti-Rose at this point, but, um, you know, like, they were hardly BFFs um, well, before sure. this revelation. And but I, this is going to bring them closer together, <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> I mean, what if it did? Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see, I guess. Um, so there's one other thing I want to touch on here, which is basically after Blake uh, talks Christoph off of being a practitioner for a bit, um, we get these lines. I tuned out the ensuing discussion. A handful of minutes passed. And I want to talk about this because, and maybe it's reading too deep into it, but reading this, it stood out to me as the most overt example of 
Blake just kind of tuning out for a while. And of course Mm. he does that sometimes and he kind of gets lost in his own thoughts, but it really feels the most on the nose that it's been in the whole story so far. Felt And it feels like Blake is tuning out because there's no conflict. There's no fighting. There's no arguing to do. And so he just kind of sits back and waits. Um, Of course, it could be that this is just, you know, Wabo skipping over some boring conversation uh, to get to the next piece of action in this chapter, which is also, you know, (laughs) kind of expected. But I don't know. It just felt too on the nose in a way that I kind of read it as Blake... It was a it was an intentional thing Blake is or a subconscious thing Blake is doing now of just tuning out the boring conversations to wait for the conflict. Well, I mean the the bit that he tunes out is when Tiff turns the conversation into like you know oh Christoph what do you do when you're not at school like it's basically it's when yeah. they start talking about themselves as people it's the human part of the conversation yeah. and that's so the Christoph, bit he tunes what... <laughs> out. Like, I think I think you're actually spot on. I think I think as the conversation turns to the more benign human stuff that's just the bit that Blake just tunes out and I think that that's very intense. And it's not just benign human stuff. It's, Christoph, what's your goal in life? Where, where do you want to be? You know, like, what's your future? Which is um, the thing that Blake has just decided to give <laughs> up on. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we should stay tuned into that. But it just felt like, yeah, like Blake is starting to actually completely not just deny it for himself, but completely tune out of the idea of engaging in non-aggressive conversations with people. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Alexis rake- wakes Roxanne from a nightmare, which is uh, has its grips on her, and she reacts poorly to this. Yeah, I mean, so I guess we've already sort of touched on, on this um, earlier. Yeah. Like, uh, I, th- I think it's interesting that uh, the Abyss is seemingly targeting... Uh, Tiffany alongside Roxanne. I mean, it's it's yeah. like it's honestly not a surprise to me that the Abyss picked Roxanne pretty quickly, like as a potential candidate yep. for Boogeyman's ship. But uh, Tiff Tiff is the more interesting one, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah, and I I mean, I don't hope that we get to see more of Tiff turning <laughs> into a Boogeyman, but I am interested by it. Um, yeah, and and we get this beat, like we mentioned, of Peter cutting through to Roxanne, and 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 so he says. If it's any consolation, you're a Thorburn, you were never going to be okay in the first place. And this gets through to Roxanne and she calms down a bit, but Tiffany's reaction to it is to be appalled, and I absolutely love it. It's so perfectly, like, it's a horrifying thing to say, and it would only calm down a Thorburn, and of course Peter knows this and says mm. it. And so, of course, Tiffany is appalled, but it works, and that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah, the, the concept of, like, Roxanne freaking out saying she's never going to be okay again. Uh, because this dream's presumably shown her something about the future that has, like, harrowed yeah. her. And, yeah. like, Peter's just sort of like, well, you were never going to be okay. And as a Thorber, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, for a normal person, yeah. it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's awesome. It's so good. Um, man, I love Peter. And this time <laughs> he doesn't even do a horrifying thing to follow it up. So congratulations, Well, he mixed Peter. the horrifying thing into the good thing this time. Yeah, true. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so Green Eyes and Ty return, they've got a lot of sticks, and they even have a few human, thank god, I mean, could be worse, right? <laughs> human bones. <laughs> I mean, I love the delivery from, from Green Eyes on, right, no, these are human bones, <laughs> and everyone's like, okay. <laughs> Yay! Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, not not to get my tinfoil hat on too much, but it's, it's interesting how well things went for them with the Briar Girl right here. 
uh yeah you know they just sort of got out and the bride girl's like yeah it's cool you know give me a little gift and oh by the way here's this coincidental pile of human bones here's this I pile of trash want. burns yeah <laughs> uh I, I don't know like that feels like karma or something I, i'm unsure exactly what to make of this but it, it stood out to me as just like hmm that went very well yeah yeah um do you think that what bride girl is trying to claim some part of boogie blake now or i mean maybe i like yeah i'm so interested bride girl's been set up since breach is like having that teacher and something i i feel like there's going to be some twist related to bride girl in the future and um maybe that'll make it clear why she might have had stakes in what's going on here or how she would have even Mm. known to have stakes in what's going on here as well Mm. yeah yeah um the other thing that happens here is they seem to make a deal with the defenestration boogeyman uh, from last chapter. Yeah, um, he's back, the creepy motherfucker. Yay. No, yeah. And and they full on are like setting a boogeyman free to go after an enemy, right? Mm. Um, in what is possibly the most cold-blooded time they've ever done that. Like, they, they and they don't even question it. They're just like, yep, you're free as long as you go and fuck up some behames or some Duchamps hop to it <laughs> and he's like okie dokie um so yeah i don't know it's uh it's not great uh blake isn't the only one losing some humanity here i would say yeah well they've just full-on turned into those sorts of practitioners who drop down and and uh seal up some boogeyman like the people who nabbed up midge um like they they sign him up to what i assume was the seal of solomon uh, yeah it seemed like it didn't it y- yeah but you know the we only get sort of a one sentence summary of Tiff as to what the rules and, and guidelines surrounding him are. She's just sort of like, oh, you can only hurt um, like behames and, and, and do champs that are adults. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it reminds me of the first time Midge came out and the, like the, the phrasing wasn't good enough. Um, you know, like, I don't know. I, I Yeah, I think this is going to come back to bite them. This is definitely Chekhov's defenestrator. Um, <laughs> I mean, we'll see, I guess. Yeah. Put a pin in it. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, also, interesting crossover. Blake isn't going to be in the windows anymore, but that would have been such a good showdown, right? Like, guy that lives in a window versus guy who throws people out of windows, who's going to win, right? <laughs> well, you can't um, you can't push Blake out of the window. He is the window. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> when he had his first run-in with Defenestration Man, he set all these events into motion, and Blake getting a physical body is just the next step of him being <laughs> defenestrated. <laughs> it's all part of his master plan. It was a high-level plan. Before you can defenestrate him, he needs to be out of the window, so... <laughs> the, the Defenestration Man was the one who had a had a chat with Briar Girl. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. It's going to be very fun. I, I think, like, there's no way that at least releasing the, the defenestrator like this isn't gonna like do something i don't know like, like yeah. it, even if he gets caught by the behames and bounce back at them or something uh it's gonna be interesting yeah. yeah we'll see um so uh with these twigs and bones uh everyone does some blake bodybuilding and he uh rips out his parts of himself and sticks them in to inhabit it um ending with his heart that he kind of takes out and flops into the body i mean it's a pretty epic moment it's very well written like it, it reminds yeah. me of uh his escape from the drains back in nine five or whatever um wait as as he's sort of you know poetically saying all this stuff about why he's doing this and te- literally tearing himself apart and jamming it into this effigy they've made um i, I quickly want to touch on um 
before we go further into that, uh, Kristoff is here and uh, he, like works himself pretty raw on on putting together this yeah. body. Like everyone else is taking breaks, and Kristoff is like, "Nope, uh, I'm going to keep working beyond when it's healthy because I'm after revenge." And we've already touched on how Kristoff's motivations were mirroring Blake's a bit earlier, so this has me very worried. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I don't know what's like. It's hard to predict what's going to happen with Kristoff, but it definitely feels like he's following in Blake's footsteps a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. Um. So Blake does go through his motivations as he puts himself into this new body, and one of them is I'm moving forward for my friends, right? Mm. And let's just put aside the fact that he says moving forward because I don't think that's correct. But um, <laughs> when he says friends, it's italicized. So friends, plural, but italicized. And I- I'm I don't know who he's referring to, right? Like Evan. Evan's the same obviously bet. is being referred to. Yeah. And then I think Green Eyes and Mags are probably the other two safe bets here, but it feels like this is... It feels like Blake is thinking this because he has something in mind that he's going to do. Yes, uh, absolutely. Like, I, I think this is something that's going to make sense to me in a couple of chapters when I've seen what Blake has wrought. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... It's nerve-wracking, to yes. be honest. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Blake says, I'm going to kill the monsters... I'm sufficiently convinced that those bastards out there, presumably referring to the the council, um, that those bastards out there are monstrous enough to qualify. Uh, So yeah, Blake is fully uh, just, he just exists now to kill these people. Um, And he's very justified in it. And I don't know, he's just like fully embracing the monster. Yeah, at first I actually just thought he meant all the monsters literally in the house. Um, but you're right, yeah. I think he probably means uh, more than that. Um, yeah, I, I'm starting to question whether we even call him Blake anymore. Like, moving into yeah. the next chapter, I think he'll just be the Thorburn boogeyman to me and, until I see reason to suggest otherwise. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to call him Blake for brevity reasons, but I agree <laughs> with you. Fair. Um, yeah, so Blake, uh, inhabits his new body and kind of starts to stand up and with Evan and Green Eyes in tow, they head together back to the house. Um, yeah. And Mm -hmm. so Blake is just not a human anymore, right? Um, he's fully embraced it. Um, and I mean, this is really drilled into us. I'm just going to read out the last like sentence and also the last paragraph, like it's a one paragraph sentence, um, one sentence paragraph. Uh, that ends the chapter, which is, uh, without looking back at the humans, I headed in the direction of the house, Evan flying alongside me, green eyes crawling through the snow. So obviously Blake here yep. explicitly separates himself from the concept of humans and then uh, is moving with the others um, of the group. So it's just, it's hard not to read the end of this chapter as this isn't, yeah, this isn't human Blake anymore. This is other Blake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, I think there's one piece of hope left, right? Which is Blake explicitly calls out that he still has a small amount of flesh left. Yeah. Some flesh grows into his new body. Um, and obviously, you know, flesh is humanity and tree is boogeyman, right? That's kind of been set up for us. As Blake has turned more and more boogeyman, he's lost more and more flesh. Mm. And, and, and so as long as there's still some flesh, there's some hope that Blake can get back to being a semblance of his human self. But it feels pretty slim at this point. Yeah, and, and of course, because there's not much flesh. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, I think this is meant to be a, a shred of hope that there's still some Blake in there. 
Um, also, yeah. I mean, just sort of looking at it from a doyalist perspective, I don't think the rest of this story is going to be from the perspective of a heartless monster. Uh, so, like, I think there will be some sort of redemption-y arc. Uh, I'm just worried for what's going to happen between now and the start of that. Um, mm. Yeah, but, you know, it's so hard with, with a lot of this stuff as well at the moment because Blake is so far detached from his own emotions that you can't really say too much about exactly what he's thinking. I mean, they're not his emotions anymore, well, right? Yeah, exactly. He's left those behind. True. Um, yeah, and that's the end of this chapter, but it's not the end of this arc, which is very interesting to me, because this is pretty big, and we still have two chapters left for things to get, you know, to for things to continue to de- descend into the depths <laughs> of madness before the arc ends with a nice refreshing interlude. So I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to, to read the chapter tomorrow. I'm, I'm so yeah. Um But that's the end of Duress 12.6, which means it's time for us to go back around and speaking of monsters, talk about our discussion question, uh, which was for people to give us kind of backstories behind the boogeymen behind their local myths and urban legends. Yeah, uh, and we got a bunch of great... Yeah, uh, there were some really good ones. Yeah, uh, so I think one of the first ones I wanted to call out, a bit of a joke answer, uh, but it was from uh, Coffee Carafe, who uh, came up with a sort of boogeyman version of, like, Florida Man um, <laughs> from the from the news, uh, which was, was a yeah. bit of fun. I really liked this one. Yeah, I like this. I like, And I feel like it, even though it is a bit of a meme, I feel like it could work in the packed universe as, like, a... Like an embodiment of of that kind of Florida energy that manifests <laughs> itself as a humanoid the other. <laughs> yeah, I'd almost think this is maybe less of a boogeyman and more of an incarnation type deal. Yeah, totally. Uh, the but... incarnation of Florida. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the concept's just as hilarious either way. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I want to call out one from Brawl97, who posted two, actually, but the first one that they posted in in one of our, I think it was in 12.3 discussion threads, um, was talking about, and it wasn't even a monster, it was was basically a person that kind of took on a bit of a mythical status around their town. And it was this man, this this homeless man, who would just kind of pop up out of nowhere and and talk to people and seemed a little bit off, but not kind of not uh, threatening, I would say. Um, Hmm. And it, it's, it was just this really interesting tale of a person who seemed to take on some larger-than-life qualities and then vanished, right? And and then their legend kind of lived on. And I love this because it's it's the seed of a an other. It's the seed of a person who was slightly otherish enough that they developed mm. a bit of a legend. And as that legend gains power, they will come back and they will be something, you know, who knows what. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. And it totally, and I think this was the answer um, that really emphasized to me that we accidentally just set up a little episode of Do the Right Thing, and I'm totally on board for that. Like, it's great. I love it. I love more packed themed Do the Right Things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what we accidentally did. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, there were a couple of others that sort of stood out to me. Um, Flower Priest uh, did one called The Coward Statue, which was very, like, SCP-esque. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, so this one was uh, about kind of statues of soldiers that you see everywhere. Um, and one of them was not actually a brave soldier, but was a coward who for some reason got immortalized. Um, and because of this, 
they kind of anyone who pays deference to this statue takes home a piece of this are they i think the reason i felt it was very scp-esque was they used the word mimetic which to me just triggers <laughs> scp uh, memories but um yeah it was a great it was a great story about uh what might happen in that situation and the other that might be born from that situation um i want to call out uh this one by so seven um who used to live in a town with a kind of relatively notorious suicide bridge, which I think is something that lends itself to very creepy boogeyman-esque tales. Um, yeah. And so Sahibam kind of theorizes about who the first potential vi- uh, victim of this suicide bridge was and how they kind of became the, 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 the troll that lived under that bridge, you know, the spirit of the bridge that then hmm. helped it to develop into more of a negative energy kind of place, um, feeding off of unhappy people who visited. Yeah. I, 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 like what I liked about this answer was um, like something that was sort of, we got a lot more of than I expected. I, I really expected people to latch onto the idea of like a person or a monster. Um, mm. But people really sort of latched onto more like concepts. Um, like obviously we had sort of, you know, the idea of the Florida man and, 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 and sort of, you know, things that are maybe more incarnations or whatever than, than the sorts of boogeyman like Blake. Um, yeah. But like, so Hyperman's here has come up with the idea of like a concept of a place. And I like the idea that um, just the way negative energy like would infect this place and turn it into something terrible. Like that's just so packed. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one other one that I want to touch on was also by Brawl97, who basically tells this story of a guy called James Still. And actually, when I first read this comment, I thought this was a completely original, like, work of fiction by Brawl97, because it so perfectly sets up a boogeyman, right? Mm. Um, so James Still was this doctor, an uh, African-American doctor who lived in New Jersey, and I think was like, uh, uh, sold into slavery by his parents or, or something like that. Um, uh, but kind of learned medicine and started practicing medicine, uh, kind of illegitimately, or he was relatively good at medicine, but he wasn't obviously able to practice medicine officially because he was black. Right. Mm. Um, and so he would kind of, uh, give medical care to people for free, uh, and then died. And the circumstances around his death are unknown, but afterwards, uh, there just kind of arose these legends of his ghost providing medical care to stranded travellers. And this is such a perfect origin story for a boogeyman and that I thought it was just completely original. But no, this um, James Still was a person who lived and this this uh, local legend does exist in New Jersey. Um, and it's great. It's such a perfect uh, like urban legend that, uh, that fits so well into this kind of packed vibe. I thought it was a great example. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and then sort of the last one we've got here, uh, it was, was sent to us sort of uh, from Jay Maniac uh, via our Discord. Uh, and Jay talked about the Black Volga, um, which is like this real legend from Eastern Europe. And it's it's like this car that was being used by kind of whoever society was scapegoating at the time for causing all the problems. D&D players, gamers. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that would be a nicer one than, than the real answers. Um but basically, this car <laughs> yep. was being used uh, to abduct children, um, and Jay Jay was sort of inspired by a road trip uh, they recently went on, and wrote this you know fantastic sort of short story about like a man driving a car uh, and sort of losing t- attachment from the the world and sort of ending up driving through the abyss for years. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really great, um, and I mean you know I think we've talked about Jay's live reads um, before on here, but they're honestly fantastic. 
uh and like they 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 point out a bunch of stuff that we miss honestly um and and that's in our discord uh so you know it's um you know join our discord just for jay's live reads honestly they are awesome for sure um this idea has really gotten me thinking about something that i want to see in pact 2 when it comes out and i know that's going to happen okay it's happening (laughs) um which is i think the idea of a highway would be the perfect setting for an abyss location Mm. this highway where there are a bunch of cars and kind of endless traffic and inside each car it kind of feels kind of tenements to me right inside these cars could be anything um yeah see so jay talked about the idea like on their road trip they were just going through like it was like they were the only car on the car on the road mm. just like endless roads their headlights were sort of not lighting things properly and they're like that mm. feels very abyss and i was like i can totally see that um just yeah. the idea of these sorts of endless roads with nothing on them um you or can- you and then you once every few days maybe you pass a car in the other direction yeah and who knows what the fuck's gonna be inside exactly it, right? yeah um oh. uh, yeah i really like that idea um, but yeah, and so that ends, that ends, uh, discussion on, on, you know, all the great writing prompt answers we got for this question. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to try this new, this very innovative idea, um, yep. which is we're going to try, OC, OC. Yeah. Uh, we're going to try and run a discussion question each week. So as this discussion question ends, we're going to launch the next one, which will obviously be That's a visionary in, idea. Uh, next Monday's, uh, episode. Um, so yep. the discussion question we're hitting up this week is, uh, pick a character from the story and explain what element you think they would be associated with and why. So obviously, yeah, n- no Blakes. Yeah, obviously Blake is wood. Um, unless <laughs> yeah, you can make just... an, a particularly interesting case for something else, I, I'd probably avoid that one. Um, obviously, Evan yeah. is like air tending towards fire, which is interesting. Um, mm. Green eyes is maybe water. Yeah, but know. the seed to me of this question is like, why is Blake wood? Like, obviously, mm. now we know why he's wood, because he's a fucking tree man. But before he went into the abyss, before he became a tree man, what are his traits that turned that, that meant he would become a wood boogeyman? Like, I'm so interested to hear what people have to say about that and what people... And then extrapolating from that, what other characters have similar things that would a- allow them to fit into kind of elements... Yeah, like, just sort of a quick off-the-cuff one for me would be, like, Diane, the astrologer, might be metal because of how fandangled and new all her astrology is, and then I'd, like, try and work out more from there, I guess, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, some interesting stuff like that. Like, I think I think it's going to be a great way to explore the elements impact as well as uh, the, the characters that people are analysing. Yeah, I think the elements have, haven't got enough, like, they're obviously one of the parts of the world that exist but aren't di- delved into too deeply yeah they, um, they very much fly under the radar and so just make stuff up guys it's not going to be <laughs> deconfirmed so go for it go nuts <laughs> um and if you have uh answers to that discussion question the place to leave it is in our discussion thread which you can find by scrolling down in your podcast player and clicking the link to reddit which is where our discussion threads live. Yes. Uh, and if you, if you, you know, if you're a little disappointed that this week's discussion question is less of a creative writing prompt, uh, you can satisfy that <laughs> craving by heading over to doofmedia.com and looking up Do the Right Thing, which every week they have uh, their own creative writing prompt. So you'll never be left wanting. Yeah, it's like a discussion question, but they don't pretend that it's not just a creative writing prompt <laughs> <laughs> like we do. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, uh, 
So the place to go to check that out is doofmedia.com. Uh, from Doof Media, you can also find links to other things uh, like our Twitter, which is at MediaMDPodcast. You can tweet at us so you can see live reads of the chapters. If you want to see Elliot's reaction to that big crazy thing that happens next chapter, wink, um, what? then t- the Twitter is the place to go for that. Uh, yes, and we've already sort of touched on uh, Doof has a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. There's a ton of great perks. The The best one, honestly, is at the $1 tier, and that's the Discord. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's, you know, so much going on on the Discord, including Jay's live reads. So check it out. Now, I do agree that the Discord perk is the best one. And the second best perk is the $5 perk, where you get to participate in our Doof and Chill streams. Um, and we just did one last weekend, and it was so much fun. We played Would I Lie to You, and we all lied to each other, and it was great. So, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's a game that practitioners just can't play, but we can, and it was great. I did wonder that actually, uh, like uh, sort of early on in the story, as I was watching some Would I Lie to You, I was like, if if a practitioner is told that they like should lie for a game, does that mean they're allowed to? And I think by now I, I've settled on the answer, no. Um, mm. But it's interesting, like if there, are, if you can contrive scenarios where the spirits are like, okay, no, for here you should do it. But yeah, so the spirits obviously are kind of analogous to a literary reader, right? But I imagine if we're in a universe that was based around like a TV game show, the spirits there would be the studio audience. And so they'd be way more willing to accept stuff <laughs> in the name of like, it's all part of the funding games, you know? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, what we... <laughs> so, uh, Wal- Walbo oh, has yes. a Patreon uh, as well. Speaking speaking of, um, I don't know, Patreon, good things. Yeah, yeah patreon.com yeah. forward slash Walbo and... He writes the stories and then we read the stories. It's, you know, off you go. Yeah. Speaking of lying, you shouldn't. No, that's not really a lie. Never mind. Uh, Oh, yeah. Speaking of lying, I don't want you to go to Wabo's Patreon. That was a lie. You should go do it. And so on that note, we'll see you all on Friday the 25th for Duress 12.7. Bye.